Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 138 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. Uh, if it sounds any different today, it's because I took... We were in the process of moving stuff around the apartment, and I've taken down three bookshelves worth of books, um, and they might have been like soundproofing this room or something. Maybe this sounds totally different, but now we are surrounded by piles of books. Echo, echo, Uh-oh. echo, echo. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Yeah, doing well. I, we bought a new house plant the other week. It's very tall, and it's filled with- Did a- you name it? No, we did. We do not name our plants, but do you know what, readers, listeners? I keep calling our listeners readers, which well, is accurate, but in a wrong way. Yeah. I mean, it is true. Yeah. Fair assumption. Um, you know what, listeners? Send Bailey via Instagram some names for my tall plant, and I'll name it that, because I'm sure we'll get like two, and I'll name them both. Okay, great. Uh, but yeah, it's filled with like this fake dead grass looking stuff that our cat likes to eat and then barf up so we're like training him not to eat it you'd think that the fact that he barfs it up every time would train him but no no still delicious apparently arnold has some sophisticated tastes what can you say yeah there you go we have a hanging plant in my apartment that's named a sexy boy oh (laughs) is it is it in reference to that old like 90s song sexy boy (laughs) you know that song yes i wish no i i have Truly no idea. Jillian just named him that. I thought I've gone along with it. I thought it was Sexy Body this whole time. Nope. The song or the plant? No. The song. The song or the plant? <laughs> you didn't? Okay. I was going to say, how do you know about my plant? Because the song is in 10 Things I Hate About You. Sexy boy. There we go. Mm, I think it's Sexy Body. There's a chimpanzee uh, in the no. video. I'm pretty sure it's Sexy Boy it, yeah. because no, he's not talking about it You're 100% incorrect. <laughs> uh, well, I choose to believe different. <laughs> Even for the meter of the song, it wouldn't sound right to go... Sexy body. Anyway, this is a book podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of books, I bought some more books for our future child um, on bookshop.org, which is what the uh, bookshops are using for people to shop online. And, you know, it's great. It's very easy to browse. However, you'll see on Instagram, I got duped. I got very excited (laughs) because (laughs) there were two Robert Munch books that I was very excited for our kid to read the paperback princess and i have to go and i was like oh man these are so great but clearly nobody knows about them because they're only two (laughs) dollars they must be like secret secret finds so i purchased them and then i picked them up and i understood why they were two dollars because they literally are made for dolls like they fit in the palm of my hand (laughs) but do they have all the pages yeah that was my first question too they do but like i'm not sure how i'm gonna read it with a baby yeah, no, it makes no sense. It's well, it's it makes no sense because it's it seems like one of those like old school uh, internet scams where like you'd bid on something on eBay and like you'd buy a camera and then it would just be a picture of a camera and it'd be like technically yeah. you saw the picture of it. But this one is like a step further where it's just like inconveniently small. Yeah, but I it is the thing that you ordered. I, yeah, I don't know if it's even a scam. I'm sure I just didn't read it correctly. But, but what is like, the intended purpose? Like a travel size? I don't know. It's baby size. Well, yeah, for I feel like the baby would eat it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it uh, it's not one of those cardboard books? No, it's just like a paperback but just tiny. Whenever I read one of those cardboard books with small children, I do think like how crazy would it be if like East of Eden was in a cardboard edition. Well, <laughs> You're there, just like turning like one chunky page after the other. Well, there were some books I got actually that were made into board books that I don't think originally were board books. Like I got Harold in the Purple Crayon. I don't think that used to be a board book. But no. 
the, yeah, the copy we grew up with definitely wasn't. Yeah, but I, I remember one. elementary school teachers flourishing, turning the pages. Yes. Nothing like a good elementary school teacher at page turn. Andrew, I just want to let you know that uh, I have started trust exercise Ooh. before Ooh. you could even get to it. And I like it so far. Well, look at you. I'm at the whims of fate to before I can start it, Toby. So you are you might, might be years. That's true. Before I can read it. Or it might get picked today. Who knows? Stay tuned for the choosing. Oh, oh, look, Ooh. Andrew, he's even one-upping you on uh, on the teasers. He's trying to plug his own well, it's stuff. Well, right. He's about to get lost to paternity leave, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only update I wanted to share is that um, Bob Balaban is now on the Phoenix Suns. So, any of you following Bob Balaban's progress, he's, he's changed teams <laughs> yet again. And uh, he, <laughs> he's joined the Phoenix Suns, does, so. Does Bob Balaban have, and this being your NBA 2K character, does he have a goal of a team that he wants to get on? Well, he is. So if you remember Sufjan Stevens' plan to make an album about every 50 states, <laughs> all 50 states, <laughs> if this quarantine lasts long enough, he's going to win a championship for, for all 30 every. teams in the NBA. I do realize that I have one more update. Uh, if you remember last time uh, Sharp Teeth by Toby Barlow was selected, I said I didn't remember it at all. Yeah. Uh, it was one of the first books that I put on Goodreads ever. Whoa. Whoa. Um, I don't remember who recommended it to me, <laughs> but it is a story about werewolves in Southern California written entirely in free verse poetry. Wow. This is a weird one, Tobe. That's what that's what Sharp Teeth by Toby Barlow is about. Wow. Okay. Toby, did you pick it because it was by a guy named Toby? No, 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 no. There's not a secret list I have for about every book that's ever been written by a Toby. It doesn't exist anyway. I, I just imagine you signed- uh, Andrew, did you have a book to read this week? <laughs> yeah. Just imagine you signing up for Goodreads being like, what should I add? Um, I'll search for Toby. Toby. <laughs> have I already written a book? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm excited to hear more about this free verse poetry. Andrew, you read a book this week, which was our book club book. What book was that? Tell us about it. My book was Circe by Madeline Miller. Oink, oink, oink. Oink, oink, oink. Yeah, for sure. So, full disclosure, uh, Bailey, you also read this book for the To Read List Book Club, and Toby, you had previously read it, and yes. Dylan, you failed your assignment. I've read The Odyssey. <laughs> Have you read The Odyssey? I've written it in a Honda Odyssey. No, I've read The Odyssey. I've seen Wishbone's Odyssey. And you've read Circe. Yeah. Okay, call out here. Wishbone's Odyssey is one of the better Wishbone's episodes. It's great. Also contains one of the more problematic. This dog is married to a human, <laughs> and has a and has a son who is like a twenty five year old pretending to be a fourteen year old. But whatever. Wow, I really need to rewatch this episode. So uh, here's a logline about the book. Circe follows the mythological Greek goddess from her childhood in the halls of Helios, her father, the sun deity, to her banished life on Aiaia. Over the course of thousands of humans' lifetimes, Circe interacts with gods such as Hermes and Athena, legends such as Daedalus and Odysseus, and monsters aplenty, gaining knowledge of both her own powers as a sorceress and how to be content within herself. Hmm. Very good summary. Pretty good. Thank you. I will preface your review, Andrew, with my declaration that if you didn't love this book, this show is over. I love this book so much. Continue. Yeah, no pressure whatsoever. This book was another entrant into our To Read List book club, so we did get some reviews from listeners. Thank you very much for those who sent those in. Mm. We'll start, as we often have, with Bailey and I's mother, um, <laughs> and this is her review. Uh, I enjoyed this book for its detailed descriptions of stories about gods and demigods and nymphs and naiads and mortals like Odysseus. 
how they mixed and loved and lost. This book brought to life characters that I had heard and read about since my youth. I especially liked Circe herself with her witchcraft and love of plants and animals. I found the story did not propel me, but wafted me into tales of yore. I will study this book further. I give it three stars for now. I'm surprised by that because that review seems like it's more than a three-star review. Yeah. So she's saying that she's going to continue to study it and then give it more stars? It sounds like maybe she had an issue with a lack of strong plot. Listener Sarah uh, was a little bit more positive, and she said, I love this book. I thought it was a really unique way to write about how complex human emotions and relationships are. Five stars for me. So there you go, Toby. Mm, Five stars. Good one, Sarah. Also, Instagram user tfrancis19 wrote in and said that the Daedalus story was their favorite subplot and that they loved how Miller takes the traditional Greek myth stories and expands Circe's. That's another positive review. Toby, have you forgiven those people and have you forgiven our mother more specifically yet? Well, it sounds like I I like those last two and uh, Pam, we're going to have words. (laughs) Uh, We had a couple more. Um, This one is from listener Meredith. She says, loved it. I know I might be in the minority here, but I never really was into learning about Greek gods and all their stories, so I was a little apprehensive about this book, but it was totally engrossing throughout. She did an amazing job of weaving together a complex cast of characters without you ever feeling overwhelmed, and everyone felt real despite the fact that most were gods with outrageous life stories. Mm -hmm. This is the first time I didn't feel alienated by these stories, which is a really interesting review and also something that I maybe feel a little different to, but I'm coming from a position where I really loved Greek myths, so I, I thought maybe that was going to be a criticism for folks. I, it's good to hear that Meredith did like had the opposite experience. Yeah. This is from listener Alex. Hey, Bailey and gang. Thanks for adding Circe to the list. I thought it was beautifully written and especially enjoyed traveling with her from young girl to motherhood and how she changed over time. I come to this already a fan of Greek myths, uh, mm. so most of the characters had a built-in backstory with me. I wonder how it would read if they were all new to a reader. Overwhelming? Um, so similar questions that we had, but Meredith has proven that uh, there is a way to enjoy it if you didn't come into it loving Greek myth. I definitely was on Alex's side because I felt like having been that nerd that loved all the mythology, I kind of knew all the stories. Oh, yeah. I was the complete opposite. I'd oh, forgotten really? everything I'd ever learned. So I was like, uh, yep. <laughs> so I don't know. It's interesting. Good for everyone, I guess. And finally, I want to read a review from a listener named Liz. I want to include the subject line of the email because I thought it was very funny. Subject, Circe is no sissy, Um, but I like that it was sort of an off rhyme. It was fun. Dear two readers, I took up your offer to read Circe and have also recommended it to my book group. I have not yet met with them and can't wait to hear what they think and what you all think of it. I have such mixed feelings about this book. I really admire Madeline Miller's reworking of Greek mythology with a modern voice. She's clearly an expert and has a great passion for the topic, but the book is so gosh darn uneven. The chapters when Circe is pushed to confront her greatest fears are amazing. Miller has created a heroine who speaks for women throughout the ages, spurned daughter, yearning sister, devoted and frustrated mother, fierce and loyal lover. She's honest about her desire to lash out in revenge using witchcraft to punish. These are the parts of book that will, the book that will stay with me, but many chapters in the book, despite thrilling storytelling, fall flat. The writing can be a little like YA, which is not bad, but doesn't feel appropriate for this book. The chapters involving Odysseus were particularly excruciating to read, way too gushing for my taste. Overall, I enjoyed this book and admire Matt Miller's ambition to bring these old gods to life. I would give it three stars. Ooh. So I made a sandwich there, Toby, for you. Yeah. Of three star reviews and sort of more positives. Although it sounds like she accidentally read Percy Jackson instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't get the YA vibe. But I guess she means like gushing language with Odysseus. So like, I guess any kind of like love interest maybe was too much for her. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting. All right, Andrew. So what did you think? Well, I'm glad you asked, Bailey. One star. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
I'm messing with you. <laughs> Classic Andrew. So let's break this up into sort of the traditional elves and orcs pros and cons dichotomy. So first of all, I love the take on the mythology. Um, like some of the listeners said, Miller is clearly like wildly knowledgeable about the subject, has classics degrees from Ivy League institutions, but doesn't fall into the trap of trying to be like too true to the common understanding of the figures. I could see a version of the story where it's more like nerding out about like how much she knows about the subject. Mm -hmm. And it didn't read that way to me. It read as someone who had great reverence for the subject and then wanted to tell her own story using it. The writing is beautiful without ever being like overly complicated or trying to sound mythic. It has that sort of quality where it sort of just rolls along and then every once in a while she kind of suckers you in with a really good sentence, which I really like because it makes it easy to read um, without feeling like you're trying to decipher every sentence and parse every sentence. Um, I have a couple examples. One is from very early on in the book, on page seven, talking about growing up in the halls of Helios, the sun god, who's her father. My father's halls were dark and silent. His palace was a neighbor to Oceanos, buried deep in the earth's rock, and its walls were made of polished obsidian. Why not? They could have been anything in the world, blood red marble from Egypt or balsam from Araby. My father only had to wish it so, but he liked the way the obsidian reflected his light, the way its slick surfaces caught fire as he passed. Of course, he did not consider how black it would be when he was gone. My father was never able to imagine the world without himself in it. Mm. Yeah, I remember I remember that being an early indicator for me of how well she was going to be able to like portray these like really intense things. Like, what would it be like to be like, my dad is a god and he kind of sucks. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, in a, but in a relatable way. Yeah. Uh, one more uh, quote that I really liked is from page 174. This is after Circe has been banished to the island of Aiaia, and this is about her brother coming to see her. The curved beak hull was splitting the waves of my harbor. He stood on its prow, his golden face outlined against the dawning sky. A pleasure rose in me so old and sharp it felt like pain. My brother. Yeah, beautiful language that doesn't need to be overcomplicated. It just tells you mm -hmm. what you need to do. And so those little moments where she turns things on you are extra effective. I was also struck that this book was sometimes pretty funny. I thought it was funny when um, she's having a conversation with, what's the guy's name that uh, is her fir first boyfriend, kind of, or first crush? Uh, Glaucus. Gla Glaucus. He's like, how old are you? And she's like, your age. And he's like, <laughs> wait, but how were you around during Prometheus's punishment? She's like, what? <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> that oh. was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> My memory of Circe, like from mythology, is mostly just tied to Odysseus and his stopover on Nyea during his Odyssey, and particularly the myth that you know she turns his men to pigs and then Odysseus gets her to turn them back. So I just thought it was interesting that like. That was like the myth I identified with her, but then Miller did a great job of connecting it like to other myths that I didn't necessarily see the connection. Like the Minotaur, Theseus and the Minotaur is connected, or Jason and the Argonauts, just based on the, the family tree of, of all of the gods and goddesses. So I thought that was well done. Yeah, just having done a little bit of research, um, apparently there are four references um, in classic mythology to Circe, including the Odyssey, and so some of those come from those other references. Yeah. So one of the pros that I found using that as sort of the backbone is I hadn't seen a lot of books that concern themselves with grounding in human emotion. Typically, like stories that span generations either are about a family as it changes over time, like maybe East of Eden, or they are unconcerned with sort of the 
petty emotional stuff of it and are just trying to tell the story of a place or something over the long span of time. So it was fun to actually have that like immortal grounding point in Cersei that could encompass all of those stories. And it was something I hadn't seen really before that I could think of. And then I really cared about Cersei as a character. She's really well drawn. She isn't fundamentally good. She isn't fundamentally bad either, but she's complicated and it felt real. Even when she's doing bad things, because you're following her perspective, you know the motivations, so they don't seem, you know, nefarious. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I remember identifying with her almost entirely, Mm. usually being like, well, she's obviously overreacting or acting out of anger or whatever, but I'm kind of on her side and I want her to do it. I only had a few orcs, but I do want to call them out. One big thing, and this was sort of reflected in my mom's review, um, was that I didn't really feel the driving spark forward because of the thing I actually liked about it, that it had that vast timeline and that Cersei was immortal. There was sort of a lack of urgency in some of the sections. I liked the chapters I read. I really enjoyed reading it, but I wasn't like, well, I have to know what happens next because what happened next wasn't always like a consequence of what happened before. But that was a minor thing. Uh, It just sort of made me read it a little slower than I thought I might. A little thing that we've all sort of talked about, knowing the myths I thought was helping me a lot, but it seems like people who didn't know the myths didn't have that experience. So the element of that that did sort of bugged me a little bit, is it did sort of feel like there was always a magical answer that just hadn't been revealed yet um, mm-hmm. that she could find to solve a problem. So like whatever problem she was being faced with, there was a secret magical answer she knew about, but just hadn't told the reader yet. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically about the spear that comes in later. I won't go into it more because it is a bit of a plot point, but like Bad. it's an, ama- like an amazingly important thing that just no. is not mentioned no. until it is. No, he's laughing because <laughs> then- of point. Plot point. Sorry. The spear with the plot point. Oh. <laughs> well, he's a dork. <laughs> <laughs> this fits with how myths are usually told, where they're like, is often like a deus ex machina or like... Yeah, I mean, li- literally deus ex machina, right? Yeah. Gods. Yeah, I mean, that's literally where the term comes from. Yeah. It's a small thing, and it, I'm being really nitpicky, but you know, when you try to write a review, you try to think of positives and negatives. I get yeah. it. And ultimately, I, I rated the book four stars. Yeah. The little things that bugged me were just enough to knock it down. It's probably more like a four and a half, but uh, I have to be honest, it wasn't quite a five for me. All right. Interesting. I, I will say, I think just like the reason I know I rated this five stars and the reason I did is because I noticed all those things, I think, that you mentioned, but having forgotten most of the information I knew about the backstories, the plot to me was how long is Cersei going to be able to stand it? Is she going to go completely insane? And, you know, the kind of piling on of miserable people she has to interact with and the enduring of the lack of things happening, even though these episodic things do happen, that was all to me. I was like, oh, this is the plot is like her just enduring forever on this island that she can never leave. Um, And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I I ended up giving it five stars, too. Um, Oh, no. I know. (laughs) I'm the worst. But, you know, I was going between four and five, and I ended up doing a thing where I read this book really quickly, and I was excited to read the next part and excited to keep going, and I enjoyed it. And so it's like, then that's a five star. Yeah. You know, I listened to the Audible. And so, I mean, the narrator was very good. um, And it, it did recall for me, like my love of mythology, but also my love of like, as a kid reading like fairy tales told from another perspective, you know, like Maleficent, like, mm-hmm. let's hear from her perspective. And so I liked like seeing all of the plot points, but sort of reversed a little bit. I guess I gave it five because I couldn't think of a reason not to. 
And I gave it five because I really liked it. So there you go. <laughs> but I mean, between four and five, those are good problems. Yeah. Basically, we're just saying the people that gave it three stars are wrong. Uh, Toby, do you have any facts on Miss Madeline Miller? I do. Yay. Um, so Madeline Miller was born July 24th, 1978. Um, this is her second book. Uh, her first book was The Song of Achilles, released in 2011. Um, and she spent 10 years writing The Song of Achilles uh, while she worked as a Latin and Greek teacher. Ooh. You know who also spent 10 years? Odysseus. <laughs> and a book that I definitely read. <laughs> Wow, it's sounding shakier and shakier, Dylan. <laughs> um, so I'll spend a, just a small amount of time talking about the Song of Achilles because it really landed with a splash. Um, it won the 2012 Orange Prize for Fiction, New York Times bestseller. Um, she was shortlisted for the 2012 Stonewall, Stonewall Writer of the Year. Um, and so by the time that Cersei came out, she was well known. And Cersei, if you guys are interested, if you liked Cersei, the Song of Achilles is very much uh, in the same vein. Uh, it tells the story of Achilles as a young boy. Cersei was an instant number one New York Times bestseller. It won the Indies Choice Best Adult Fiction of the Year award. It's also currently being adapted for a series. Ooh, a uh, Sir Series. A Sir Series. <laughs> like many Ooh. of our book club books uh, with HBO. One interesting fact, and that maybe tells you a little bit about who Madeline Miller is, is that I mentioned that it took her 10 years to write The Song of Achilles. Um, it says here that she completed a manuscript after five years of work and threw it away because she felt that the voice was not correct for Achilles. Whoa. Dang. Whoa, indeed. Um, so, uh, like uh, other modern authors, there's not a ton of information out there, but I do have some interesting snippets from an interview with her with publicbooks.com. Sounds like an actual website. Publicbooks.biz. <laughs> so these are all uh, Madeline Miller herself speaking. I was born in Boston, but when I was about a year old, my parents moved to New York City, so I grew up in Manhattan, close enough that we could go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which was a huge part of my upbringing. My mom would take me at least once a month, and we would go look at the Greek and Roman collections and the Egyptian collections as well. Those were my favorite. My poor mother, I think she always wanted to go and look at the Impressionists, but I was very insistent. That makes a lot of sense, baby Madeline Miller being like, yeah. I want to see the Greek stuff. And then we moved to Philadelphia for high school, and that was where I found my wonderful Latin teacher who taught me Homeric Greek. He saw that I was completely obsessed with these stories and took me aside and said, I can have you reading the Iliad in the original in about a year. We met on early morning Saturdays and before school. For a teenager, that's a really epic amount of effort, but it was all worth it. Yeah, it would be like really nerdy if you were a high school te um, student and like they didn't offer advanced Latin. And so like you went up to your teacher and asked for um, an independent study on advanced Latin. That'd be like really nerdy. Is this, is this <laughs> something you did? Yeah, I did that. I, oh my. <laughs> Oh, I boy. think you paved the, the way for it, Bale, because when I got to high school, they offered both Latin 1 and 2, and I took them both. It was well, mandatory, actually. They were like, Bailey told on everybody. She said, everyone needs to learn. There was always a Latin 2 course, but not enough people had signed up for it. So I asked if I could do it independently. <laughs> <laughs> little kid Bailey and little kid Madeline would hang out a lot and be like, let's play Greek myths. You know you can be friends with adult Madeline. No. <laughs> Not the same. Well, great facts, Toby. Very good quotes, too. 
Thank you. I feel more oh, educated now. There we go. The book I read this week is Educated by Tara Westover. I'm kind of curious to hear Toby's facts about Tara Westover because the book's yeah. just facts about her. I ran into that. Okay. That problem. We'll see. So this one, in addition to Cersei, I think are really hot book club books. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people have read them and said that they love them. And I can see where a lot of people would want to discuss them. So just before I start, I know that you've read this one, Toby, right? Mm-hmm. Andrew, did you get a chance to read it or no? Uh, yes, I did. I just finished it a few hours ago. Okay, great. So then we can all do a little chat. Essentially, the book, it, it's a memoir written by Tara Westover, who's an incredible woman who grew up in very rural Idaho with her family. Um, and her dad was very active in the Mormon community, but he kind of spinned the religion in his own way and was also bipolar, so took it very far. Um, and so Tara and some of her siblings did not attend school. And so she had to teach herself and she had to grow up almost like raising herself and teaching herself in this very scary environment, including having to work on her father's in her father's um, junkyard, which is very dangerous. Mm. Um, and with her mother, who did not believe in medicine and neither did the father, but the mother was a midwife and also a herbalist. Um, and so they would be like, oh, you don't need a painkiller, you know, take this root or whatever. And then she would be like, I'm bleeding <laughs> everywhere, but she would do it. Um, when she's a teenager, she decides that she wants to go to college, inspired by her brother, and she studies, takes the ACT and does well enough to get into Brigham Young University. And from there, starts a whole new life. It really reminded me of the book, The Glass Castle. Did you guys read that? No, I did not. No. The Glass Castle is very similar, except I don't think that the parents were religious. They were just, we're living off the grid. This is what we're doing. Um, and and the, the writer wrote a memoir about how she basically raised herself. So given that, like, I, I loved the book. I thought it was really well written. I think that she's an incredible woman. I think her story is inspirational. I think her perspective and her ability to self-analyze is great because she starts off being a person that like won't even acknowledge that like she should talk about her past or she should tell people that she didn't go to school. And then she ends up being very like, well, because I had this experience, this is how I react in this way. Um, I thought it was really self-reflective and, and excellent. I think my only question is, I don't really know why it blew up in such a huge way because to me it's very similar to the glass castle <laughs> it's like maybe you guys can help me like why do you think this book exploded in the way that it did for me i think the interest of this book is twofold there's a couple like just incredibly tense parts of the book where for instance working in the um in the junkyard she gets horribly injured it's mm-hmm. not really a surprise you kind of see it coming from a long way away and that experience of it's just very tense and very and it shows her family dynamic in a really interesting way and then for me at the end of the book she wrestles a lot with what it means to try and reconcile yourself with the family or what that decision is like should i try and reconcile myself do they deserve my effort in this capacity Mm -hmm. but then also the tension between 
you know, whether or not they deserve it, it might be good for her to try and do it for herself. And so that question was really compelling to me. I really didn't know what the answer was. I love that. That's really interesting. It appealed to my justice streak a lot <laughs> of the time where it's yeah. like, this is unjust. Get out of that house. What are you doing? Et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, like Cersei, <laughs> you understand from her perspective why she reacts the way she does and why yeah. she makes the decisions that she does. But it's there's no... It's not black and white. What did you think, Andrew? Well, first of all, I should just say that I came into reading this book. We had a copy. It was picked off Bailey's shelf. I was like, if I can read it in time for the recording, that's great. It'll be a fun bonus. I started reading it yesterday and I couldn't put it down. I had to like stop myself reading it so that I could hang out with Jillian (laughs) and be like an attentive partner. Um, And so, yeah, I this was an easy five star for me. And Mm -hmm. I think it is sort of Toby, you you hit on a lot of it in what you were saying, but it, it was couched in this story that it sometimes read like a thriller at most of the time was a family drama, had that element of I cannot fathom this. And yet you're explaining something so unfathomable to me so clearly that I can completely put myself there while at the same time being completely horrified and like aghast at what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so it, it really walked that tightrope for me and I, I couldn't stop reading it. And now that you say that, Andrew, I also couldn't put the book down like I read it in a day, I think. But I attributed that to being home during quarantine. And I didn't make <laughs> the connection that it was the book. But of course, <laughs> it was the book. So I, I was also going between four and five with this one. And my thought was, well, because I read something similar before, I'm going to go four. But I think I should go five again. Oh, I think I think I'm going to go five. Because if I give Cersei a five, I should give this a five. And I don't have anything bad to say. Nice. I just imagine you as like Yosemite Sam with two revolvers shooting stars into the sky. Two five stars. (laughs) So will you keep it on our book pile? (laughs) I'm definitely going to keep it. I feel like it's something that people will want to borrow. And the language is beautiful. And maybe I'd read it again someday. I don't know. How many stars did you give it, Toby? I actually think it gave it four. Um, Mm -hmm. I think uh, I really, really loved it. But I think it dragged a little bit in parts for me. Okay. I found it compelling, but there were some slow parts for me. Okay. I mean, again, between four and five, good problem. This was like one of the easiest five stars on the on the podcast for me. Oh. Ooh. Awesome. Okay, so educated by Tara Westover, four to five stars. Toby, I'm I'm very interested to hear your facts. Um, so yeah, I did not do much I, I did almost no research into her life. I think that's fair. Because if you want to know about her life, read this book. Yeah, read the book. <laughs> um so I'll just give you a quick little dates. Tara Westover was born. Um, this is actually interesting on the Wikipedia say, page. <laughs> it says born September 27th through 29th, 1986. So, the backstory being the mother doesn't know the day mm-hmm. because she doesn't have a birth certificate. So yeah, Educated was a hit. It debuted at number one, the New York Times bestseller list. And it was a finalist for many national awards, including the LA Times Book Prize. The Pan America Gene Stein Book Award and two awards from National Book Critics Circle Award. The New York Times uh, also named Educated one of the 10 best books of 2018. I think it's still on the bestseller list. Um, so these, the following is from her interview on Fresh Air. This is going to be a thing of mine now. I love Fresh Air. So whenever there's a good interview from Fresh Air, I'm just going to pull from it. Why not? Are you going to do the Terry Gross voice? No, because this is with Dave Davies filling in for Terry Gross. <gasps> <gasps> So, uh, Davies, this is from a, you know, they, they go over in the beginning of the interview what the book is about and who she is. Um, and here is Davies asking a question about the place she grew up in Idaho, which is a beautiful rural uh, landscape. Davies says, 
I mean, this was a beautiful, tranquil place you were in, and yet I wonder if you grew up as a kid with, you know, the fear of these powerful, unseen forces that could destroy your lives without warning. And, you know, things that we learn when we're little can have a really lasting emotional kind of residency. Do you think that affected your outlook on the world at all? And Tara Westover responds, I think it certainly must have. It was a quality of my upbringing that, that everything had these kind of two sides. So the mountain was an incredibly beautiful place, and the junkyard was this exotic playground. And my mother's herbalism was a kind of magic. And it was something that was beautiful and fun, but also, you know, to me, carried a lot of power. But then there was a lot of other side of all these things, because the mountain could be kind of terrifying, and the junkyard could be a very dangerous place. We were injured a lot in the junkyard. And even then, the herbalism, it still has a magic quality, but there's also a kind of terrifying quality, because there were no painkillers involved. And so there was a sense with all these things that there was a lot of beauty, but there was another side to it. Mm. I chose that section because I thought it was very indicative of the of the book as a whole yeah it reminds me too that section i think she did a really good job about saying like this is my memory of it this is my brother's memory of it this is my mom's they're different but mm-hmm. but i put together what i think is accurate based on my memory i think she's you can tell why she's an academic so davies asked do you still identify as mormon And Tara Westover responds, I don't. I have a lot of respect for Mormonism, and my entire family and extended family are Mormon. And I'm always conscious of that and try to be respectful of that. And I always try to point out, you know, my family are not representative of Mormonism. Most Mormons believe in public education, and they believe in doctors and hospitals and all of that. So I don't think it was Mormonism that explains my childhood. I think my father had, again, these kinds of paranoias or mental irregularities. And I think that religion was a vehicle for that. I don't think that religion caused it. Well said. Yeah. So that's Tara Westover. Great. I feel more educated. (laughs) 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 Ha ha ha. Ha ha ha. All right, uh, Andrew, do you have a game for us? I hear that Dylan might be allowed to play this time. Yay. Yes. Dylan is welcome just this once. The name of the game this week is Gimme the God of. Gimme the God of. Gimme the God of. Okay. Gimme the God of dot dot dot. Gimme, gimme, gimme the god of ice cream. Sort of. His name um, is haagen and he lives on Mount Chocolate Chip. You know what's really funny? So the rules of this game <laughs> are going to be, I'm going to give you a modern invention, and I want to hear your best version of what the, the god of that would be like. Because we read Circe, which dealt with all the different gods in Greek mythology, all of which had very specific purposes and things that they lorded over and such. Uh, and Educated was about sort of finding modernity in a way. And one of the things I was going to do was ice cream. So I'm glad I didn't include it on the list. I mean, do I just get a point? No. No, you don't, because I didn't end up including it. I sang it as an ABBA song. Abba. Yeah. Abba. <laughs> um, so just to drill down the rules a little more, you guys are each going to have a chance to respond to a series of prompts. And the prompts are a modern thing, uh, invention, technology, something like that. And you're going to give me the name of the god of that modern thing. Tell me a little bit about them and uh, tell me what they do to reward or punish people. Ooh. So, for example, if you were the god of ice cream, they would punish you by making it always melt. Or the guy, or you would reward somebody by filling the entire freezer. Just the freezer is packed full of ice cream. Got it. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I will say the creativity in sort of explaining what they do to reward and punish and a little bit about them is a lot of it, but I'm mostly going to be judging based on how much you make me laugh with the name. Ooh, Ooh okay. Ooh. Good to know. All right. Number one, cell phones. Who's the god of cell phones? The god of cell phones is Apple Nokia. And... She is, (laughs) thank you for that laugh, Um, and she lives in a pile of, like, wires and spare parts, and to reward you, she gives you very good signal, and to punish you, 
she gives you one of those like e symbols you know you know nice you know what yeah. i mean yeah okay. i know what you mean well also to be considered with the patron goddess of uh cell phones is wifi mm. uh <laughs> <laughs> Apple, Nokia, and Wi-Fi so far, just so we're clear. <laughs> God of cellular technology, who rewards those wh- that can guess her riddle of the mysterious Wi-Fi password. And for those that don't, she uh, she smites them with 5G. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the god, uh, the genderless god of cell phones is Motorola. <laughs> uh, he lives... Uh, everywhere he is omnipresent sorry i said genderless they are i was gonna say they are omnipresent they reward their followers with indestructible phones that you can throw around from place to place and they punish their non-believers by making them drop their phones through their legs when they're on the toilet into the toilet bowl Ooh, ooh! all right uh, Dylan gets zero points because he was, was more focused on internet than actual phones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bailey gets five points Whoa. for the, my favorite name. Oh. And um, I like pronouncing it Apple as one word. Mm-hmm. And Toby gets three points for the best punishment. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I see. Five points. In case you're wondering, the points are random. I will give different numbers <laughs> depending on my whims no. because I've gotten a little tired of the strict regimentation that we've been doing. Okay. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. enough. This isn't quite whose line. The points do matter but they are given in a sort of Calvin Ball way. Dylan looks sad that he had zero points, so I just want to say that I love you, Dylan. Uh, Give me your zero points then. I want to say I agree with Andrew. Yours is about Wi-Fi. I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. All right, next one. We're going to do three of these um, because I did have internet on the list and I don't want to tread on Dylan's already uh, (laughs) incorrect answer. Um, So now, planes. Who's the god of planes? The god of planes is boing. <laughs> oh man, I wish Bailey was the. I like that the names are just. You've only so far gone with like products or services. You haven't tried to make one up. Well, I didn't want to get beat to the punch on Nokia again, so I just went with the first Fair. thing that popped into my head. Boeing uh, resides uh, in only the fluffiest of cumulus clouds, uh, always hiding, kind of peeking out here and there. Um, they bless their followers with a first-class experience, no matter what they're doing. <laughs> so, like, champagne. Everything they drink is champagne. Uh, every seat they sit in can fully recline, no matter what kind of chair it is. And they, uh, of course, f- fittingly, the punishment is coach treatment wherever they go. So every chair they sit in appears to be too small. Every meal they eat is bad airplane food. So that's the curse. They must be friends with <laughs> Delta. The god, <laughs> the god of flight, based out of Atlanta, Delta, <laughs> Delta rewards loyal followers with uh, um, silver medallions. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that gives them access to his kingdom, and he punishes those with by having uh, people go through extra screening with whoever they meet. They will forever be untrusted. Oh, I thought you were going to say body cavity searches. And body cavity searches no, 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 that's mine. That I'll steal mine. Well, um, I think that the god of aeroplanes, like A E R O planes, is. Um, Dylan. What? Is there a time limit on this, Andrew? It's Orville and what? Wilbur. Okay. Is Wilbur Orville. Um, <laughs> and he's. Cheating, fr- cheating. Nope. Don't worry, it'll be taken into account in the points, Toby. <laughs> Wilbur. Wil- 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 <laughs> Wilbur Orville, he lives in Kitty Hawk, and (laughs) 
he invented the airplane. <laughs> and now you're just talking about two real people, but uh, mushing them into one person. And he rewards you with one of those cool, like, you know, those Snoopy pilot hats. <laughs> and he punishes you by hitting you in the elbow with the drink cart. Oh, I thought we were going to go for old airplane thingies. <laughs> yeah, you guys are going with very, like, modern convenience punishments. Uh, he punishes you with your plane crashes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Points time. Points time. Uh, Bailey, because oh, no. what you didn't hear, listener, was Bailey trying to remember the names of Wilbur and Orville. <laughs> you only get one point. I like the extremity of your punishment. That puts you to six total. But it was a little scary. All right. Um, Toby, I like the idea that if you were rewarded by um, Boeing, the goddess, or the god of, of flight, even if you were in an electric chair, it could fully recline. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get three points. Okay. So that will put you to six. So you're tied with Bailey now. Mm-hmm. And Dylan, you were my favorite of this round. You're going to get four and a half points. <laughs> yeah. Because I love the idea of a god being based in Atlanta. Yep. <laughs> and as a platinum medallion member of Delta, I feel like I'm being blessed by this god right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So finally, we I want to know the god of television, and this is all to play for. Again, I could give up to 15,000 points for answer here, so go for, go wild, go nuts. Uh, my god is Hulu, god of streaming. Mm. Mm. And she is a merciful god that rewards you with never-ending seasons. However, if you disappoint her, she will leave you on a cliffhanger. Ooh. That's really good. Okay. Hulu god of streaming really rolls off the tongue. Ooh, that's pretty good. Okay. Um, my god of television is Fraser Phoebe. Um, <laughs> no. Wow. <laughs> I like it so much. <laughs> Fraser Phoebe um, blesses you by having the channel right on the right channel when you turn it on and right when it's ready to go. You know what I mean? Turn on the TV. Mm-hmm. Right what you want to see. Mm-hmm. She also um, doesn't have your DVR mess up and record like 800 episodes of the same show because that's the worst. Actually, yeah, that's how she punishes you. She records diners, drive-ins, and dives, but like the back episodes too. So then you open your DVR and it's full. Mm, Nice. Uh, And my god of television is Farn Swerth. He lives in your living room. Do you not know he's the inventor of TV? Nobody knows. Mm. Aaron Sorkin knows. No, he's the inventor of TV. Okay. Um, Okay, great. Thanks for explaining <laughs> no. it to your Quizmaster. I love that. But it's a good answer. No, that, that's how jokes. Yeah, that's no. how good jokes work. Is if you explain it, yeah, you have it, to explain it. Then I, then... I have a frog, and I must dissect it. Um, <laughs> uh, his blessing um, is that uh, your television continually updates. So whenever they make a new advancement in television technology, which they seem to do every six months these days. You get it. Your TV. Okay, everyone's glaring at me. It uh, sounds more it, like uh, a punishment. It, it con- no, it constantly updates. So you have like a 4K 3D TV that's like the size of your whole wall. And then uh, his curse is endless commercials. Mm-hmm. If you if you upset him, everything you watch, no matter what you try to watch, no matter what screen you try to watch it on, is always a commercial. And it's always the same commercial. It's always the same commercial. Uh, and it's, I was going to say for ShamWow, but that's actually a pretty entertaining commercial. So. And what's the name of the person again? Farn Swerth. And uh, who is that? What's that based on? <laughs> the guy who invented television. Can you tell me a little? <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually don't know anything else. He was a farmer. Yeah. All right, great. These are great answers. Um, Bailey? Yes. I liked your name. Fraser Phoebe's great. So you get points for the best name. Yes. Yeah. But 
I can't have you harshing on Guy Fieri because uh-huh. he's a better guy than people give him credit for. Oh. He does a lot of great work for charity, and he will not be a punchline anymore. You only get two points, which puts you to eight total. All right. Oof. That's fair. I'll take okay. that. Toby, because you had to explain the <laughs> joke. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> You also only get two points, but I did really like the punishment of endless commercials. I hate commercials. <laughs> uh, Toby, that also puts you at eight points. Uh-oh. Dylan. I feel like we're being set up here, Bailey. Uh-oh. Dylan, great name, um, and I really liked both your punishment and your reward, so I'm going to give you three and a half points, um, and that'll put you at eight points. Um, <gasps> Tie. Tie. So you guys are all tied at eight. Yay. First person to yell Farnsworth wins. Farnsworth. Okay, you all re- yelled it at the same time. Congratulations. You're all winners Yay! in my book, which also means you're all equally the loser. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like those games. I like the ones where we get to just yeah. riff. The, the pressure is... Hi, though, I will say. I just like games where everyone can win. It's just fun to switch it up. So before we do the choosing, let me just set up what's going on. So next week, we have a mini-sode. We're talking about summer reading. Then. Having a blast. Having a blast. (laughs) Then. (laughs) Summer reading, it happened so fast. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is so long, guys. I know. (laughs) Then will be a regular review episode. So Toby's reading Sharp Teeth. By Toby. Toby Barlow. By Toby Barlow. Um, But this is going to be my last book before we go on our maternity leave, because then it's just the mini-sode, and we know that Dylan is 100% going to finish Harry Potter book seven for that mini-sode. Yeah. So it's just that book to be chosen. And so instead of doing the choosing, I asked these guys to pick my book. I know Andrew has a choosing, so you can do the choosing for Andrew, but then I'm excited to hear what Dylan, Toby, and Andrew picked out for my final book. Okay. So am I. Well, I guess we'll just do Dinky Andrews choosing too. <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, let's... <laughs> the choosing. <laughs> the choosing. Andrew, you have number ninety-two. What is the what by Dave Eggers? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you not want that one? What was that reaction? Uh, no, I'm excited. I don't know a lot about the book. I bought it in college, I think, and I've had it following me around ever since. So I'm excited to read it. It is just a quite a chunky book. Chunky Chun- book. Chunky can be good. I read this a long. I think I read this in high school when, yeah. it, like, when it, right around when it came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I I went through a big Dave Vickers phase too, so I would definitely mm-hmm. read it. And it, this is actually like one of I his. Think you and I went through our Dave Vickers book phase together. Yeah. yeah, I think this is one of his like better books. So. Okay. And it's weird because it actually ties into Bailey's choosing. Mm-hmm. The choosing. Set, set it up. How did you guys come to this decision? Well, I might have suggested it. Okay. I had a, a brilliant idea. Les Miserables, I'm going to be very upset. Kind of, because it's about a man who struggled. Yeah, and who is pursuing his dream. He needed to find his voice. Whose talent will win out in the end, or will it? He needed to go to American Idol in order to find it. Wait! <laughs> so, Bailey, your book, which isn't on your list for some reason, but it should be because it is on your shelf. It's in the house. <laughs> is Learning to Sing, Hearing the Music in Your Life by Clay Aiken and Alison Glock. <laughs> oh man, guys, that's that's good. <laughs> good job. So this is from the group of four books that our listener Kate sent in as um, punish- or <laughs> April Fool's Day. That's right. Okay, great. 
Clay Aiken from Justin <laughs> to Kelly. That's pretty much what I know about American Idol. So there you go. Oh, this will be fun. All right. I'm very amped to see to hear your review of this book. Thank you, guys. I'm glad that you didn't pick Clay Miserable for me. I, I may or may not have texted Andrew and Dylan and be like, I have this idea. Is it too mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll be easy to read, Bailey, yeah, at the very that least. Was that is yeah, true. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I mean, Tara Westover had a hard time, but I want to hear about Clay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that is very exciting, and I'm excited for this episode, my final swan song before (laughs) maternity leave. Uh, Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter at To Read List pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and rate us five stars on the podcast rating app of your choice. We would so appreciate it. And then if you put in the review that you want us to name a modern god after you, we'll do it. We'll do it. Why not? I mean, we'll do it. And also, if you uh, know anyone in your life who you think would enjoy this podcast, please reach out and let them know. Um, Word of mouth is our best way of finding new listeners. And it'll put a smile on me, Toby, and Bailey's face. Dylan is heartless. I have nothing. Aww. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.